Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 45th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank um, Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast, and our gold sponsor, Network Connects. You know, this morning, the Fiber Broadband Association and NTCA issued a joint press release announcing the release of the complete Broadband Infrastructure Playbook 3.0 ahead of the NTI bead initial proposal deadline of December 27th. The playbook 3.0 includes four modules. Uh, permitting, um, we talk about the extremely high cost per location threshold. Uh, we outline broadband mapping challenge process. And then the fourth uh, module is on cybersecurity and supply chain risk management under the bead program. So if you don't have a copy, you can download the playbook from the Fiber Broadband Association's website under resources. You know, in DC, to, um, you know, Congress is working on options to continue to fund the government through a budget deal. The fund, you know, the funding from the most recent extensions runs out on November 17th, which is just next week. So RUS and reconnect funding will be impacted by these negotiations. And then last week on November 1st, the FCC launched an inquiry to increase the minimum broadband speed benchmark and set a gigabit future. You know, the FCC will begin the evaluation of the state of broadband across the country as required by Section 706 of the Telecom Act, which they do every year. But the Notice of Inquiry, NOI, proposes to increase the national fixed broadband speed benchmark, so drum roll, to 100 by 20 megabits. You know, it's just amazing how um, you know, the, I remember a decade ago, the National Broadband Plan from the FCC had one megabit as the um, the benchmark. Um, so, you know, it doesn't look like they're stretching too hard. Um, but also, they're going to, you know, the previous benchmark, our current benchmark is 25.3. That was set, um, gosh, almost eight years ago. And that hasn't been updated since. But also a little more exciting is the NOI is going to seek comments on setting a separate national goal of a gigabit by 100 meg. Again, I don't know why we wouldn't do um, a minimum of symmetric bandwidth. And, you know, we're already deploying 10 gig networks. But again, um, you know, we'll look to the past to set the, <laughs> the targets for the future. Um, we also have wrapped up our regional events for this year, and we're already working on our regional fiber workshops for next year. So um, we've set a schedule. We'll be in Richmond on February 8th, in Little Rock on April 16th, in Park City at Deer Valley on June 4th, Des Moines on September 10th, and in Albuquerque, New Mexico on November 7th. Um, and then, well, of course, we have our big Fiber Connect 2024 conference in Nashville, July 28th to 31st. So get those on your calendars, and we look forward to seeing you guys there. And then the Fiber Broadband Association is wrapping up in this inaugural 2023 Fiber Deployment Cost Study Survey. 
So if you haven't participated in this, um, here's the link. Um, you can see it in our chat and on the screen here. So please um, do participate if you're a service provider and have some cost that you want to provide. And we'll be rolling that out at the end of the year. That brings us to today's Fire for Breakfast session with Paul Connolly, uh, Telecom and Network Practice Leader at Entropy, who's going to discuss competitive broadband in a multi-gig world. Don't count out cable. Paul will dive into the expected timing of cable's rollout of DOCSIS 4.0 and what that will mean for the fiber industry. So today on Fire for Breakfast, our guest is Paul Connolly, Telecom and Network Practice Leader at Entropy, who's going to discuss competitive broadband in a multi-gig world, don't count cable out. So Paul's going to dive into the expected timing of cable's rollout of DOCSIS 4.0 and what that means for everybody in our industry. You know, Paul is an expert in telecom, cable, and media networks with a distinguished executive background at Nortel, Scientific Atlanta, and Cisco. He's led design and technology implementations for major companies in broadband networks and served as a partner for fiber projects with AT&T and Verizon. His expertise also extends to media giants such as HBO, Viacom, and Disney. And Paul's insights and reports contribute to profitable industry growth in addition to managing his consulting business, Conley Network Insights LLC, Paul leads Entropy's uh, telecom and network practice with his vast experience across ventures and technology and mediascapes. Paul has received the President's Point of Lights Award for his work with the Boys and Girls Club. So with that, welcome Paul. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. So yeah, I'll turn it over to Paul. Great. Thanks, Gary. And uh, good morning, everyone. I'm quite excited to be here and uh, and give you my views on um, multi-gig uh, fixed uh, residential broadband competition. So I recently attended the Fiber Connect show down in Orlando with uh, 4,000 of my closest friends. It was a great show, Gary. And, uh, and I really sensed a tremendous sense of enthusiasm of optimism, it was almost a gold rush uh, mentality as the G-PON to XGS-PON transition, which was very simple and elegant, has really kicked in. You know, we're in, we're firmly in the multi-gig world. But I also sensed a very per pervasive um, feeling that the cable guys with HFC networks were just not going to be able to keep up. That uh, you know they they were they they have a lot of market share they have a big installed base but that this multi-gig uh, future was going to leave them behind and as a consultant who's worked a lot with both fiber and HFC technologies I respectfully disagree and I'm going to spend the next few minutes uh, explaining why if we look at how we frame the future we have to really think about the networks that drive them. And to put it in context, you know, every network has a number of essential parameters. I mean, clearly functionality, reliability, cost, standardization, but also scalability, how do we grow and evolvability, which is the key issue here. Um, you know, can, as the services running on these networks evolve to higher and higher speeds, uh, can the appropriate networks keep up? Clearly, this is where fiber is going is to hit their sweet spot. But the question is, can hybrid fiber coax technology keep up? And, and one of the other essential parameters there is cost. And I'm going to show you the, the, the radical disparity in cost 
if you accept the premise that HFC can get to multi-gig, they're going to have a tremendous cost advantage. And we'll look at that uh, in a little more detail. All of these networks are always in transition and successful operators know how to manage the transition well. Uh, I'm old enough to have lived through the analog to digital and circuit to packet transitions. I'm sure there's some, uh, Gary's nodding a little bit there. <laughs> I'm sure there's some gray haired folks out there that will agree and there's probably some other folks that are now looking up what circuit data transmission means because they never heard of it. But you know, I will tell you this, this was a multi-year long transition with a lot of bumps in the road. And to be honest, a lot of winners and losers. There's people that just didn't make the transition and, and the companies didn't make it. And if we look at the current uh, networks that are providing services out to consumers, they're all in a state of transition. And in fact, I would argue fixed broadband is probably uh, one of the least uh, turbulent of the network changes that we're seeing. Everybody's moving from hardware-based purpose-built networks to virtualized networks in, in, in all the networking. You know, the, the big telcos uh, started virtualizing their core networks over a decade ago. And they used to report on it every quarter. They'd tell you how far along they were getting with virtualizing. They don't report anymore, so I guess they're done. But uh, you know, it's a big issue, not only for reducing costs and footprint and, and uh, carbon, et cetera, but also for service velocity. I mean, you have to have a virtualized network to be able to deal with quick changes, provisioning, being responsive to your customers. And everybody, uh, including the fixed broadband networks, are, are in that virtualization phase. If we look at the other big networks really briefly, I mean, they're all in transition as well. The, the video networks moving from pay TV to streaming is, to be honest, in complete chaos right now. I mean, everyone's bleeding red ink, the actors are on strike, nobody has been able to articulate what a successful, profitable, stable streaming video world looks like. So a lot of chaos there. Uh, wireless has made a huge leap from 4G to 5G, multi-year multi activity, literally hundreds of billions of dollars being spent worldwide. And I don't think we've yet seen the payoff from what are the new revenues that are going to arrive. You know, the most interesting things, standalone cores are just coming, uh, network slicing, which will open up a lot of new revenues. They're, they're not really there yet. So a lot of work to be done there. Uh, on the satellite side, hundreds and hundreds of uh, low Earth orbit fleets being launched, again, some in commercial use and a lot of them just getting going. But, uh, but you know, there'll be winners and losers there. And then we get to HFC and fiber to the premise. Now, I think anyone would, would be on pretty solid ground for arguing that fiber is the right way to go if you're building a brand new network. There's no question that, you know, unlimited bandwidth, simplicity, passive, no electronics, cheap, cheap operation, et cetera, no question. But we're in this transition where there are, there are uh, um, the entire country has hybrid fiber coax in the ground. And we have to understand from a cost point of view, is it, do we think that we're gonna rebuild the entire network with fiber? And if so, when, and that's the real issue. So let's do the uh, three minute history lesson on how things have transitioned through fixed uh, broadband. You know, the market invented by the telcos by leveraging the copper that was already in the ground. If they had to go deliver a new set of connection to the home, 
and dig up everybody's home just to sell high speed, uh, just to sell broadband wouldn't have happened. But they were able to overlay broadband on the existing copper that was there serving voice connections. The, co the cable guys had a much bigger pipe, but they didn't have the two-way capability. So they couldn't turn their connection into an asset until they figured out how to do two-way uh, services. And originally the HFC was designed, well, it was just C, and then it became HFC as fiber was, was added. Uh, but it was designed to deliver video out to uh, homes. It wasn't designed originally for two-way. But by the time they figured out how to do two-way, and as the consumer's need for speed kept climbing and you had more uh, demand, then the HFC took over and became the dominant provider of, of HFC versus DSL. Fiber, you'd argue much better system, more bandwidth, easier to operate, et cetera. The big disadvantage is that it didn't exist. And so well, could you put a network in? Could you put the drop in? Took a long time for fiber to, to get going. But again, as the speed kept coming up and up, that gigabit capability started to have more and more importance and we saw tremendous growth in fiber networks. The cable guys countered with a program called DOCSIS 3.1, the DOCSIS being the, the data specification. Cable guys, by the way, they have, a, they have an outfit that standardizes that all the specs uh, does uh, certification testing and does interop testing. And, uh, and they came up with a method of matching the GPON capability of one gig in the downstream, but they were very limited in the upstream. Cable networks are asymmetrical and they run one-way service today. So the stuff either goes up or down and most of it for historical reasons, uh, didn't have to be built that way, but, but for, this, for the purpose it was built, it was designed with most of the bandwidth going downstream. And then I think the DOCSIS 3.1 stabilized the, the leadership position of cable and they held on to the number of customers they had. Uh, but then the fiber guys changed the game again and came up with this incredibly elegant move up to 10 gig. Now clearly leading customer uh, requirements, especially the symmetrical aspect of it, but, but that's a good thing. I mean, I, as a network provider, you always want to be you know, a few years ahead of network demand. Uh, so, the, so the fiber guys, uh, the, the HFC guys have countered with DOCSIS 4.0. Now I will tell you up front that um, they couldn't agree. So a lot of people had the perception they've been playing this with this thing for years and nothing's happened. Well, between DOCSIS 3.1 and DOCSIS 4.0, first of all was another program called uh, Digital Access Architecture. And what this did was virtualize part of the, of the head-end architecture and push the processing of the data out deep into the network, into the nodes, instead of keeping it back at the head-end. And that has allowed, as an interim step, you will see some operators offering a couple of gigs down and maybe one or 200 megabits up versus the original DOCSIS 3.1. So, so they have been moving in a direction of more bandwidth, but all of that was prep work to get ready to be able to do DOCSIS 4.0. And depending on the operator, they're a long way down that path of doing the DAA. Uh, so then we come to DOCSIS 4.0. The whole point here is to leverage the existing uh, network that's out there. Um, you're not doing a brand new design for Greenfields. You're trying to figure out how can I put more functionality into the asset that I've already got and protect the business that they have. And so, because the two biggest suppliers had 
differing uh, uh, installed bases in terms of how their technology had been deployed, there was a lot of angst and debate about two different methods to put the, the capability in that was needed. And after a lot of consideration, Cable Labs decided to standardize both. So one of them is called extended spectrum DOCSIS, basically just makes the pipe bigger. You move all the way up to 1.8 gigahertz, uh, which means you have to do a lot of work with splitters and, and parts of the network, but you just put more channels in and you dedicate more of it to upstream and you get more capability. The second method is, is to take the unidirectional signal in, in the cable networks and make it bidirectional or put in full duplex. That way you don't have to go up to such a high frequency uh, uh, spectrum rate, but you get double the bandwidth because you're running in both directions. And so both were standardized. The key to making the cost effectiveness is silicon. And the two standards meant that the chip makers had to make a call on which one was going was gonna to play out. Um, and so there was some uncertainty. And I think a lot of that is reflected in the opinion of a lot of the fiber folks that they've been playing around with this DOCSIS for a long time and it's not really coming. So, so uh, two uh, very recent uh, technology updates just got announced last month um, that helped the, the DOCSIS 4.0 viability and rollout dates. And the first of which is uh, Broadcom in conjunction with Comcast announced a new silicon chip that will do both versions of DOCSIS. So if I'm a maker of cable modems or equipment supplier and this chip pans out, it's in field trial right now and expected to be available next year, then we don't have to deal with the two versions anymore. There'll still be two versions, but we'll be able to build a single set of equipment that will do both. And the second thing is the full duplex one uh, which is which is in effect more powerful one because it, it'll allow more upstream was seen as requiring the fiber to be taken all the way down to the last active they call it an n plus zero technology well now recently uh, new equipment has emerged which by using some very sophisticated echo cancellation says that we can put that full duplex capability into the amps so we don't have to have fiber going all the way out to the last device and if that pans out and again it's just under field trial right now it'll make the ease of upgrading uh, even simpler than than they currently believe is the case so those two things have just recently uh, happened so that leads us to three critical questions the first one is when will it be available and the answer is comcast just put their first system up in service so the answer is now uh, they're building out in Fort Collins, Colorado, two gigs down and two gigs up. And interestingly, Fort Collins municipal government just launched a very a big citywide, I think um, uh, 80,000 home uh, XGS PON uh, network. So it's pretty a pretty interesting competitive environment. And Comcast has said they'll do Atlanta and Philadelphia in the very near future. Uh, and I'll show you what their long-term plans are in the next couple of slides. The second question that I would pose to everyone is how important is this high capacity upstream capability? You know, the, the symmetrical services is a very, very powerful marketing tool. 10 gig down, one gig down, one gig up, 10 gig down, 10 gig up. Very, very simple, elegant, solid, future-proof. But I started asking when I went down to the conference, what are the upstream applications 
and when will they arrive? And I, I kind of heard two answers. The most common answer was, we don't know, but when it arrives, we'll be ready. And that's a valid answer. I, I accept that. You know, you always want to get ahead of customer demand. But if the need for the 10 gig is in 2067, it's a lot different from the need being 2025 or 2026. And the second answer I heard was, well, AI, uh, AR, VR, uh, takes an enormous amount of bandwidth in both directions, you know, and that's been a very niche application. It's been one of these things that's been around for a long time. I will say that with Apple launching the um, the ProVision headset and the second generation of that, which will be a more reasonable cost environment, they got over 5,000 patents uh, behind the thing. They have the ability, as demonstrated in the past, to kind of make the market. So you can probably tell I'm a big Apple fan, but you know maybe three, four years out, we see a huge uh, drive towards mass acceptance of probably AR rather than VR. And if that's the case, then yeah, we'll need the multi-gig upstream. But, uh, but I think it's an important thing for people to keep an eye on. It's a great marketing advantage. Does it become a technical requirement? Because neither one of the DOCSIS things can do the symmetrical 10 gig upstream. And I'll, I'll show you what they can do in the next slide. And then the last question is the business, oh, sorry, uh, the, the last question is the, the, the ARPU that's generated. The cable guys have got everyone connected uh, past and half of the people connected. So they're defending their installed base. And their business model has always been put as many services in as you can. And so, you know, the, the, the biggest guys that report their their revenues per user, they're in that kind of $120, $130 per home with a bundle of services. Um, the fiber guys, if we use the biggest provider, AT&T, as a proxy for the industry, they reported this last quarter $68, which is actually a pretty jump, pretty big jump from the previous quarter because they raised prices and they are also moving people from lower tiers up to higher tiers as they roll out uh, their two and five gig services. So, you know, they're, they're probably both right, but I think in the long term, both operators should be doing both. You should be building new. Uh, cable guys are reaching out beyond their base and they're actually using fiber to do that. They're building adjacent terms where now instead of leveraging the network, they're leveraging the head end and, and the billing and all the ISP connections and so on. So I think in the long run, you have to think about this notion of how much do you get per home is something really important that everyone should pay attention to. So here's what the two biggest suppliers have said about when they're going to be ready. Um, Charter Communications, whose name for their hybrid fiber coax services is Spectrum, have said that they're going to upgrade their entire 56 million uh, home pass footprint by the end of 2025. They've they've made a business decision to, to categorize it into three chunks. Uh, as you can see, half of them getting five gig down, one up, 15% only two gig down, one up, and 35% uh, the full 10 gig down, one up. They are making a decision that one gig up is enough. Now, these are plans. They could obviously change, but this is what they have told the street that's that you know looks at their stock price and the blended cost to do that per premise is $100 so rather than you know when they would say if we overbuilt ourselves we'd spend $1500 a premise but we're going to do $100 by upgrading to multi gig 
capabilities. So if they can pull this off, the costs become enormous. Now, when you look at the drop costs as well, over half of those homes pass have already got the drop in based on what they report about different services. You know, they got about 32 million, I think, uh, data subscribers, but they also have voice subscribers and, and video subscribers and so on. So the drop cost is zero for over half of those connections as well. So if you're thinking you want to go and attack their base of customers, it's a pretty difficult cost proposition. You know, whatever the cost for home pass for fiber, say, I don't know, $1,500, and then another six or $700 for drop versus in their case, $100. And since half of the drops are already there, maybe $300. So, you know, and they're gonna spend $5.6 million. I'm running a little bit late here. So uh, next slide, please. This is the, the last slide. Comcast, very similar. Again, these are, these are reported uh, by their senior executives into the investment community for the people that watch their stock. Uh, they have 61 million uh, premise footprint. They've said right now they're going to upgrade 50 million of them and they're going to do 10 down and six gig ups for everybody with the full duplex. They also plan to be done by the end of 2025. And right now they're saying, sorry for the typo, it's the cost less than $200 per premise with the elimination of the need for N plus zero, that cost would go down. So between those two customers, you have 120 million homes with a network already passed and half of those homes with the drop already in place. And they're saying that within two years, they can do multi-gig functionality for a couple of hundred dollars a home. So I think for the fiber industry to say, now if 10 gig isn't the end story and you need 50 gigs, that's another issue. But I think that's a longer term discussion. So I, I think to be able to say either you don't believe that these guys can pull this off and they've been working hard on it, it's complicated stuff, but they've been making tremendous uh, advances. And I, for one, you know, owning neither a fiber network or a cable network, but just as an observer would say, I wouldn't count these guys out. So with that, I guess, Gary, we can take some questions. Thank you. Yeah, Paul, well, great stuff. And, um, you know, it's we were just talking before we started that you know we worked together 30 years ago and i was a cable guy back then which is hard to even imagine now but uh, well i i have to i'm just i'm a nobody i i do both cable and coax <laughs> so the um first of all i think the most important thing you said is that operators networks are always in transition you're never done right you're always moving to the next great thing and that's kind of brings me to why not just get to the end state you know, why not just get fiber out there? So, I mean, we see cable guys, really, we're just talking about three operators, right? Comcast, mm -hmm. Charter, and Cox. Because everybody mm -hmm. else, the smaller operators have already gone fiber to the home. And even those right. three big ones are putting fiber to the home on all new builds and anywhere there's competition. So really what we're talking right. about is anywhere they don't feel competitive threat, they'd rather spend $200 than I'll call it $750 to get to fiber to the home. Now, you mentioned 1500 but... I mean, whatever the number is, $200 mm -hmm. is going to be cheaper, but it still comes up short, right? It's, you know, where your XGS is 10 gig symmetric. We're already deploying 25 gig pond. We're going to be at 50. We're mm -hmm. going to be at terabit pond here in a few short years. And yet um, 4.0 isn't even going to be able to deploy, right? Because, you know, I looked at George Nodder's note from SCTE 
and mm -hmm. it looks like there's silicon issues and we probably won't see that silicon availability till the end of 24 right yeah I, i'm not sure that that's true but definitely there's still work to be done in the silicon a unified silicon that uh, that Qualcomm are coming out with is going to help the issue. But yeah, it's going to take a little while, but you know, it really does come down to economics. I mean, would you rather overbuild yourself for $100 billion or spend $10 billion protecting your, you know, your base? And these are two very big bases. If these were, if these were little companies that you could say, okay, doesn't matter to the fiber industry, but this is 120 million out of the 140 million homes in the country. So, you know, it's a big chunk that, and the question is, if they don't overbuild themselves, will they be vulnerable to fiber operators taking their business away? And they're making a bet right now that, you know, for the foreseeable future of a business investment, uh, they don't think that's necessary. You know, you can have a discussion about 25 or 50 or 100 yeah. gigs and that, but, uh, but again, when you look at the upstream capability, I mean, it's gonna yeah. take a while before that's well, even. You know, George said that uh, only Comcast is doing FDX. That's the only yeah, operator. Correct. And so yeah. one of the questions that came in is says, you know, hey, we see there's lots of life left in HFC, uh, but when you move to 4.0, is it going to be more ESD or more FDX? So it sounds like just Comcast FDX, everybody else can be ESD, although the silicon will give you some flexibility. Yeah, with with these changes in the silicon, that that makes a thing. And I think the other, the crucial thing, Gary, is these fiber amplifiers, the, a full duplex fiber amplifier. If you've got a string of a, of a fiber node and four or five amps in three directions sitting off the end of it, and you got to change all those out and run fiber into them, that's another, that's a big deal versus dropping inside the amp housing new electronics that can do the full duplex. So, so that could be a game changer, but again, it's early days. But I would, I would say if that, all things being equal, more people would do the full duplex if it wasn't harder yeah. to do. So if it becomes, if the N plus zero goes away, I think the equation changes. Yeah, you mentioned the word amplifier. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Just mm -hmm. oh, all our devices, you know, yeah. trying to meet your net zero carbon footprint. Good luck with all those amplifiers. But anyway, um, Paul, there's a ton of great questions. Um, you're gonna have to follow up um, afterwards and, and hopefully, um, answer some of these questions but yeah, really sure. yeah, I, did, I did run a little over sorry <laughs> oh no worries and and curtis gives you two thumbs up so um maybe we'll have to have curtis on from cable labs to talk a little bit more about <laughs> that uh, but no, anyway um just really appreciate you sharing your your experience and insights you know you've been sure. in the industry a very long time so thanks paul really appreciate that great. My, my pleasure this is a great uh, this whole fiber for breakfast is just a great opportunity to to have the debate about what's important in our industry well, I'm looking forward to getting back together next Wednesday. Um, we'll be in our third episode of the, our quantum series. You guys know I love um, to learn about our quantum future. And we're going to have Marta Mori from uh, research uh, manager at Quantum AI, uh, at Zappa AI, who's going to discuss quantum technology near-term uh, use cases, cap, uh, cap uh, how am I going to say this, catapulting AI competitive. Um, so you're going to want to hear about what quantum has to do with AI and see you guys next Wednesday.